Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode three of the Chikandi Podcast. I am your host, Demetrius Burton. Thank you so much for tuning in. Returners, I appreciate the continued support. It is much, much wanted and received. Thank you to new time listeners. I appreciate you tuning in, whether I was able to convince you to do so or somebody you trusted uh, convinced you. My intention is for this time to be beneficial for all. So again, thank you for listening in. Before we get into that dope beat from Double Impact, I do want to take a second to shout out Camille Edwards and also thank her for being a vital part of Team Chikandi and the Chikandi experience. Her company, TLO, is the brains behind, and she specifically is the brain behind brains behind our social media platforms and website design. And she does a fantastic job with all of that. I would encourage any of you in need of those services in want of great services to reach out. Sister also has a foundation, TLOJM, which supports the babies in her location with, uh, with clothes. So please reach out to her via Facebook and give her um, your support as she is well deserving. Having said that, Brayden, please bring in that dope beat. All right. As you get settled in, again, thank you for taking time out of your busy lives to lend me an ear. Again, my intention is to make it useful. Having said that, before I jump into the five stages of racial identity development, according to Dr. Cross and his wonderful framework, I do want to take a second and revisit the last episode by first thanking Ms. Calvin Day for not only appearing, but sharing her immense wealth of knowledge uh, she has in the area of trauma. The show was titled Race and Trauma on the Athletic Field. And in hindsight, the show dealt primarily with trauma and very little to do with race. So let me do my best to take the next five seconds to sum up how racial trauma impacts your student athletes. That's it. Any questions regarding race and trauma on the athletic field? Please email those Burton D at Chikandi.net, or you can drop them in the comments tab, or you can go to the www.chikandi.net and leave them in the um, survey topic section, comments. So yeah, shameless plug for the sites. Having said that, let's move on to Dr. Cross's stages of racial identity. With an understanding that one, Chikandi, me, we're coming from a place of love. We're looking to provide some information to help you provide the services you're seeking. And that is helping each student in your program reach their full potential, which basically means, in my terminology, self-actualization. You want everyone who comes to your program to benefit, to learn tangible skills through your sport, to become better at your sport and to compete at a high level, hopefully a state championship level, high school coaches, city championship level, middle school coaches, league championship level, recreation league coaches. This is for all of us, all of y'all. So whatever level you're coaching at, my guess is your intent is that your program provides the vehicles to multiple championships and to tangible skills that your student athletes can use after they're done playing. This model may be, in my belief, 
should be a tool in helping you build those relationships. So let me quickly read each stage. And again, this is Dr. William Cross. I would encourage you all to Google it, print it off and actually study it. Make this a part of your your framework. Stage one, pre-encounter. Stage two, encounter. Stage three, immersion slash emergent. Stage four, internalization. Stage five, internalization dash commitment. All right, coaches, now that you are aware of the names, at least of the five stages, I do want to put these in context by splitting them up into stages one, two, and three, and then stages four and five. It has been my experiences that many student athletes, especially in the high school setting, tend to be in one of those first three stages. It has been refreshing to experience a number, a growing number of students each year uh, experiencing stage four. That's that's refreshing. However, the vast majority of students struggling tend to be stuck in one phase of the first three. So again, what I'm going to do is read a brief description of the first three phases, and then we'll transition into what those look like for struggling students and then how to transition those students maybe to a stage four. So having said that, the pre-encounter stage is defined as the person having absorbed many beliefs and values of the dominant white culture, including the notion that white is right and black is bad. There is a de-emphasis on one's racial group membership. This person is largely unaware of race, largely unaware of race or racial implications. Okay, so you have somebody here in the pre-encounter stage. They are believing and adhering to the rules of society, at least the posted rules. And yeah, that's where they are. Then something happens. Something forces this person, an event or a series of events, forces this person to acknowledge the impact of racism in their life, in their own life, in their own reality. And then they realize also that they can never truly be white. This person is forced to focus on identity as a member of the group targeted by racism. So there again, there's an encounter stage. Something happens. And again, this person that we're talking about is moving from one stage to another. And what you also need to understand about moving through these stages, you can move back and forth again and again and again. You don't graduate from one stage to another and stay and graduate to another. It doesn't work like that. What it is, is based on a variety of factors, you can find uh, yourself in any particular stage. But stage two is that encounter stage where something or some things happen to let you know that you are you ain't getting access to those white privileges that you see others getting access to. So the interesting part about the encounter stage is early on after one or two events, you may be able to rationalize these events as exceptions. But as you continue to have these racialized encounters, reminding black people of their blackness, in which that includes not having access to white privilege, that person early on goes tends to go back to the pre-encounter stage, but often they will move later on in life to the emergent slash immersion stage, which is defined as having simultaneous d- desires, 
One desires to surround oneself with visible symbols of one's racial identity, and the other desire is to avoid, or to actively avoid, any symbols of whiteness. This person will actively seek out opportunities to explore aspects of one's own history and culture with support of peers from one's own racial background. This is often marked by black people, commonly known as a period of militantism. Your militant brother, or some something to that effect. If you can, if you can follow me. My experience has included uh, black athletes, especially black athletes who were st- struggling in the academic athletic setting, being in one of these stages. And the goal is to get them to stage four or to stage five, where they're able to internalize positive self-identity. And then not only having that positive self-identity internalized, but committed to improving the community that they belong to, which starts with, in my case, the black community, but extends through the human community. So be clear on that. Chikandi is about love of self and love of others, all human beings. All right. All right, coaches and everyone listening, thank you again for staying with me. As we toss around the racial identity development as proposed by Dr. William Cross, I do want to tie in coaches' belief system. And again, we're not only talking about black and white coaches. Well, we are specifically talking about the black athlete, but we're talking about coaches in general, which includes on the continuum from black all the way to and through white coaches. Your beliefs, what you truly believe about your student athletes, will play a huge role in in how the student identifies with him or herself. And what I mean by that is, based on your belief system, you are sending certain messages of support. You're sending certain message, uh, certain messages of persuasion and dissuasion. What do I mean by that? Not only do black people have a racial identity process, white people, biracial people, other people of color have their respective racial identity process also. So you got to understand where you are on your walk, which will then help you better understand how to relate to someone else on their walk. Our country is a very racialized society. Colorblindness is a myth. The only people who benefit from adhering to a colorblind society are white people. And the token black person who agrees to hate himself and his community in hopes of having full access to white privilege. Please stop. <laughs> Please stop. You chasing your dog chasing your tail. You ain't gonna never get it. Never get it. I'm talking about a cat named Lamar and how the racial identity framework can help you work with Lamar. Because Lamar, in my experience, tends to be a typical brother struggling in the system. Lamar tends to be highly intelligent, highly charismatic, a natural leader, not as handsome as he thinks he is, but handsome enough that he has issues managing the multiple women he is trying to entertain at any one given point in time. 
Lamar's a good dude, good-hearted cat. Has brothers and sisters that he uh, loves and does his best to take care of. Crazy about his mama. Has a decent relationship with his father, which is more typical of black fathers and sons than not. I know the narrative is that the black absent father is common, more common than the present father. That is a myth. That is a bold lie. Black fathers tend to be more involved in their children's lives than not. Look it up. Do the research yourself. But Lamar, by all intents and purposes, is a good dude. But for whatever reason, he's a knucklehead. Comes to school, but doesn't go to every class. When he does the work, he's an A-B student, but doesn't always do the work. So much that he is often torn the line of whether or not he can participate because of grades. And his attendance has led to some suspensions. And that, you know, when adds up, becomes a problem. So what do we do about Lamar? According to, well, first of all, you got to assume you know Lamar and you have a relationship with him. And I think the more you dig with Lamar, you will learn that Lamar has received all the messages about who he is and how he is supposed to perform in this thing called life. And be very clear, according to Dr. Kunjufu, in the third, fourth grade failure syndrome, black boys figure out right around then whether or not they're going to be successful in this thing called formal school. And Lamar has picked up along the way that school is full of shit. And not only that, that school ain't for him. Being cool is for him, getting pussies for him, balling is for him. So he does enough to try to maintain his eligibility, but he can't do too much. He can't be too smart looking and acting like white people. Identity crisis. It's okay for him to love his family because, hell, that's what black people do. We love our families. That's without question. But some other things are not okay for him to do because that's not what young black men do. So what do you believe about black men, young black men, the boys on your team? And what supportive messages are you sending? If you tolerate D's and S and allow them to actively compete on game days, then what you actually believe is that's the best that they can do. Or you don't give a shit and you're going to get whatever you can out of them because... You don't give a shit. Lamar's going through an identity crisis. He is living up, by and large, to the standards that were communicated to him. What do you do in this situation, coaches? What do you do? You can't get Lamar to perform to his potential. One of the things you got to do is have a clear understanding of not only who Lamar is, but the community in which he comes from, which means you got to again, reassess your beliefs about Lamar's community. So it all goes back to the beliefs of you, coaches. What do you believe? What expectations have you set? What supports have you put in place for students to reach those expectations? What are the consequences for failing to meet those expectations, along with the rewards when not only you meet them, but you exceed them? Because that tends to what happened when kids have clear expectations and the support to achieve them, they tend to exceed them. All right, before we transition to the call to action and outro of the show, I do want to take some time to, again, thank those of you that took some time to respond to the survey that is on Chikandi.net. 
asking coaches what specific issues are you struggling with or do you have questions about or which particular topics do you would you find of interest to be discussed on the show? So those of you that participated and shared your feedback, thank you, thank you, thank you. I just want to take a couple of minutes to pull one and focus on it. And I'm doing so because it's interesting to me. And someone asked about speaking about the I can just show up syndrome. And as I looked and thought about that, you got to understand it. It's just that it says the I can just show up syndrome. So I'm going to speak on it from a coach's perspective with number one, it takes a very, very rare, special bird to not practice and to just show up, turn it on and achieve at a high level. There are those people out there when you talk about in relation to the competition they're playing. There's some people that they're playing others where they don't necessarily have to practice much because they're that much better than the competition. So when you talk about the I can just show up syndrome, there are particularly two reasons, uh, uh, in my opinion, my experience, that a student athlete may feel that he or she can just show up and play. Number one, because they physically can. Like, they can. It's a reality. It's a reality. I am so head and shoulders above my competition that I don't have to work very hard at practice and I'm just going to whoop ass. Not necessarily the norm, but it is reality. So you got to ask yourself, is that what I'm dealing with here? If that is the case, I would suggest you reframe the conversation. My point of competitiveness very rarely deals with the person I was lined up against in football or squared up against on the mat. My biggest source of competition was internal. I was confident enough to believe that if I performed to my best, if I worked as hard and prepared mentally as physically as I could, then what I do in competition is just going to reflect that hard work. So I wasn't so much worried about my opponent. I did respect my opponent and prepare for my opponent. Don't get me wrong. But my biggest opponent was me. Me. So the challenge to that person who was already physically dominating their competition, have they internalized greatness for themselves? Meaning the standard is not external, it's internal. Have I done the very best I could do in every area, period? You give me a student athlete, a student athlete that has that mindset of being his or her very best, regardless of the competition, regardless of the weather, regardless of how my boyfriend or girlfriend is feeling about me. I just want to perform at my highest level possible. Then you ain't worrying about the, I can just show up and dominate my opponent because that person is not fulfilled. Showing up and dominating your opponent is a desired outcome, but that's all in accordance with working as hard as you can to master your craft. And that's that's how champions think. I'm going to be the best I can be because, well, that's just how I roll. That's, that's just who I am. So can they show up and dominate? Can you challenge them to raise their game? Also, 
another reason is um, coaches you allow them to. Kids think they can just show up and play because they've been allowed to. So when you raise your level of expectation with an understanding that is very clear, if your ass ain't at practice, your ass ain't on that field. You ain't on that mat. Yeah. You don't try to justify the reasons kids mispractice. Now, I'm a parent. I'm a human being, and I understand things happen. But the norm is you are here on time all the time. And when you hear, you are fully engaged. I used to tell the players, I need your attention for the next two hours, your undivided attention. If it's somewhere that is more important for you to be, go. Go. I let them know. I got a daughter. I love her. But I'm not going to think about her in the next two hours. Unless there's an emergency and she needs me to. But she's taken care of. Y'all have my attention right now. And only you have my attention. And it's got to be reciprocal. When you get kids dialed in like that, magic starts to happen. Expectations starts to get met. Expectations start to get met. Yeah, I said it right. And if I didn't, oh well. But the point is, why do they think they can just show up and play? And if they can, challenge them to raise their game. Challenge them. And if you've been allowing them to just show up and play, stop it. Stop pimping the kids. Because you ain't doing them no favors. None. Thank you for that good question. Thank you for that good topic. Keep dropping them in. And as you think about other questions, topics to share, I hope you're thinking about them. Something else I want you to think of doing. And this is this, this show's call to action. Black, white, however you identify, coach, teachers, parents. I would encourage everyone to do this at least once, once a year maybe. I would encourage you to do it up to four times a year. The Harvard Racial Implicit Association Test, more commonly known as the Harvard IAT, Racial IAT. You can Google it and you can jump on and you can do an exercise that will basically tell you whether you have a favorable or unfavorable view of black people. Yeah. Yeah. Courage to to do it. Courage to do it honestly. Self-assessment. Again, we're all a part of this sickness. We're all a part of this sickness. Assess how sick are you so that we can come up with a diagnosis and a plan for curing <laughs> ourselves and uh, lessening the impact on our babies because that's what it's about. Life transformative experience for everyone in your team. So reach out to Chikandi Consulting so that we can ensure that everyone is having those moments. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. I look forward to the next time. Until then, 